Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. A phrase I like, which one of my old bosses used to talk about a lot, is ready, fire, aim. Because he was trying to overcome the the complex nature of decision-making. Sometimes those costs are very, very easy to compute. Usually, though, they're not. We focus on the easy stuff, just the, the headline costs of implementation, and we don't do the homework to figure out what are, what are the saved costs by doing this. How much did it cost us to recruit this person? How much was the advert? How much time? did we waste in recruiting all these people? Then the, what sort of the training costs? Ryan, one of the most common questions I get from different clients, different people across businesses is, how do I get ROI? Yeah. How do I get return on investment? Are you sure you're not mishearing them and they're asking, how do I get Ryan? <laughs> Because I assume you get that question a lot. Too. I do. And guess what? I just ignore those questions. <laughs> <laughs> You're asking, why does this sound like Ryan, who's asking me this question again with a poorly disguised voice? Yes, absolutely. Yes. I try to ignore those questions and just focus on the business part. So it's return on investment. It seems to be one of those subjects which on one side of it, I find it is quite simple. Mm. And on another side is is complicated and people, I think people overcomplicate it, to, if I'm totally honest with That's you. That's interesting. Today, we're going to talk about five rules for guaranteeing a return on your investment. All right. Now, you'll know as well as I do that when we look at a customer experience, this is something we are focused on as a consultancy company. Because for me, this is one of the reasons why customer experience is having the challenges that it does today. And when I say the challenges it does today, what I'm referring to is if you look at some of the research coming out from places like Nunwood and Forrester over the last few years, what you'll see is that people are saying that improvements on customer experience are, are not paying in. And one of the reasons I think that is, is that people aren't focused on the right bloody things, basically. And a lot of people are doing customer experience just because everybody else is doing it. Right. So I thought it would be good to sort of give people this formula of five rules to guarantee a return on investment. Does that make sense? Sounds great. First rule, do your homework, okay? Now, what I mean by do your homework, I, I could have written do your research because for me, you may have a great idea and everybody thinks they have great ideas, but the reality is is that you, you need to do research to find out whether your idea is a good idea or not. And there are very few Steve Jobs in the world. 
Well, and it's important to acknowledge that Steve Jobs failed a lot before he started succeeding. Yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact, let me, on the back of my book here, where is it? Oh, you can tell I'm really looking for this now, can't you? (laughs) Colin's going to injure himself. I've got one of these black books and and it says here at the back page, it says, I've not failed. I've had thousand. I've found a thousand ways that won't work. Thomas Edison, mm-hmm. yeah. and I read that earlier, and I thought, yeah, you know, that's so so true, basically. Um, so you got to do your homework, and and I, I, again, my apologies if you've heard from this be, from me before, but I think it's genuinely fundamentally important that you've got to look under the skin of what customers say. So there's a difference between what customers say and what they do. And that is really important. So people would have heard the story of Disney when they ask their customers what they want to eat at a theme park. Disney say they'd like to have an option of a salad. People don't eat salads at theme parks. They eat hot dogs and hamburgers. We've got hundreds of examples from clients where we do this special form of research called an emotional signature which gets under the skin of what customers really want, those hidden things. And that is really, really important. Does that make sense? Yeah, there's a mistaken belief, especially among business leaders, frankly, that we should trust our intuition, that our, your intuition is good, that you, you, know, you can trust your gut and see what your gut tells you about these things. And there's research on this. And it turns out that our intuitions are only as good as the training they receive. So if you talk about like a pilot um, who's flown thousands of hours and that pilot gets a a bad feeling about something going on in the aircraft, that pilot's intuition is probably pretty good because their intuition has been trained in doing some specific task over and over again for many years. Your intuition is just the automatic part of your brain. When you're dealing with a dynamic field like customer experience where things are constantly changing and you've got all kinds of new things coming up, your intuition may be totally wrong. And so you can't just rely on that. You need to go out and actually talk to the customer and find out what's going on. Get outside of your own head and and pair your intuition with the power of some actual data to tell you what's going on. Yeah, Ryan, you're totally right. Because what we've discovered is that when you look at things, there are sort of four different dimensions of value. Mm -hmm. So when we start talking about ROI, Okay, you can sort of put them into sort of four buckets of value. Okay, you can talk about sort of economic value, in other words, the competitiveness of your your prices. Yeah, that could drive ROI. There's the whole area of functionality, which could be to do with I don't know the speed at which you deliver something and the attributes of the product itself. Yeah, the attributes. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You then got the whole sort of experiential aspects, which obviously we talk a lot about, which is, well, how does this organization, are they responsive as an account manager? Does the account manager care for me? And all those wonderful things. There's the whole area of symbolic things, which are, is this a brand that fits my life? Is this, do I feel recognized by this? Is it Am I driving a BMW and therefore that adds to the status of of what I'm doing? So there's those four areas of value, economic, functional, 
experiential and then symbolic, which I think can really affect what we mean by by value. And you got the point I'm trying to make is under this whole area of do your homework, you got to get under the skin and you got to look at what drives it because it's not just about, well, is it the miles per gallon? Is it the delivery timescales? Typically, what we find in the research that we do is those things are important, but they're not the key things that drive value. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah. Number two, think outside the square. My son used to work for an advertising agency in London and they had this really great tagline, which I I thought was great, which was, when others zig, we zag. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the danger is, is that there are too many organizations that just copy what other people in that industry are doing. Yeah. And this is the danger. And I was going to mention it when you were talking earlier about the whole area of confirmation bias. Do you want to explain confirmation bias? Sure. Confirmation bias is the tendency that we have to want to continue thinking what we currently think. So essentially we like being right. And if something threatens our being right, our first instinct is to explain away the thing rather than adjust what we're thinking. Yeah, and and it's interesting because if I go back to number one, which is, you know, look at for the hidden things. And and when we do this emotional signature research, we look at not just, we're not looking at correlation, we're looking at causation. And why am I mentioning this in, in this context? One of the problems that we have is everybody starts to challenge the methodology and the science and everything else and, you know, how many people we've interviewed and all those other things because they don't like the answer that's being yeah. given. I assume they only challenge it when you're telling them something they don't want to hear. Correct. Nobody's going to challenge it. Nobody's going to bring up problems with the methodology if you're telling them what they want to hear anyway. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's exactly for me where confirmation bias comes in. Believe it or not, so much so now, mate, that when we do this emotional signature feedback, we start the presentation off telling people about confirmation bias. because we're trying to go and you don't want to go there. Rule number two, think outside the square, zig when others zag. And the whole area of, we we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago, I think, where we were talking about diversity, Mm -hmm. because where are your new ideas going to come from? If you employ the same type of person as everybody else that's in the organization, then where do those new ideas come from? Does that make sense? Yeah, we've also talked in the past about the the potential dangers of best in practice thinking. Correct. Yes. Because that's inherently convergent. We're now converging on what everybody else does. There's a fun experiment that behavioral economists do. In fact, Richard Thaler had us do this in in his class when I, I took a class from him in grad school, where you have everybody in the room try to guess the number that's halfway between what the average will be and zero. You have to anticipate what everybody else is going to be doing in order to get this right. The issue is everybody in the room is doing the same thing. So I'm anticipating what everybody else is going to do. Everybody else is anticipating what I'm going to do and what everybody else is going to do. But then we also anticipate that next step that everybody's anticipating us. And so it turns (laughs) into this impossible problem. And that impossible problem is 
business <laughs> because sure. whatever we're doing, we need to anticipate what our competitors are going to be doing and they're going to anticipate what we're going to do. So yeah. you really, you can't be like aiming at what people are doing today because by the time you make those changes and get there, yes. everybody will have moved on and you'll just be constantly behind. So you need to be aiming ahead of your target. Yeah, and, and one of the biggest thing I've learned, and people will know that my background is working in corporate life in my first career, working in corporate life. The thing that I I get constantly surprised at is just how slow organizations are. Yeah. So, you know, the big corporates that, that we deal with, the decision-making is just so slow. So anything you can do to speed that up, I think, I think is really, really important. Everyone has business problems. Everyone would like them solved. And what better way than asking two experts to weigh in on what to do? This is the essence of a new spot we have in the show called I'm in a Pickle. All we want you to do is to email us with your problems and Ryan and I will give you our best advice of what to do to resolve them. Hey Ryan, I'm really glad we're doing this, mate, because I've had this ingrowing tone now for some time and I'm not certain what to do. Colin, let me stop you. We've discussed before, no toenail discussions on the podcast. <laughs> Not your personal problems, business problems. It could be, how do you get your senior management to be more engaged in customer experience? How can you reduce the level of churn you have with customers? Or something specific, like how you should set the pricing for a service. And if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. We will simply look at all the problems and come up with the answers. So just email us at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com and outline the problem. And Brian, are you sure we can't sort out my ingrown toenail? Uh, well, Colin, you know I do have a machete collection, so maybe we can. <laughs> Number three, remember that costs are part of the formula. Hmm. So one of the issues here, and there's sort of, to a certain extent, there's good news and bad news. Part of the bad news is you may come up with this great idea, but it then costs you $3 million to implement it. But you know what? Return on investment means you're making an investment, the $3 million. So what's the return going to be? Because if it's a million dollars, guess what? You shouldn't do it. And one of the bits of advice I would give people is involve finance. So when I was working in corporate life, what I used to do was I used to get our finance teams to be part of the project teams. Yeah. So we could start to align on what financial justifications we need to, needed to make. What was the things that, that people were going to turn around and go, yes, you can spend that money or no, you can't spend that money, etc. So get the finance team involved. The other part of this cost part here that I would throw in here is, to a certain extent, it goes back to number two, which is look outside the square. When you're starting to build the costs, a return on the investment can also not be the costs that you will need to invest to create this new product or service or experience, but what are the costs that you're going to save? Yeah. Okay. And we've never been involved in a project that hasn't saved money. But you've got to think outside the square. You've got to think about all those phone calls that were coming into the organization and what's the cost of those. I'll give, give you an example. 
a very simple example. We were doing some work with one of the water utilities and we discovered that to send a field engineer out was something like $17. But if you could spend more time in the call center ascertaining what the problems were and therefore maybe save some field visits, not only did that increase the customer experience because the customer was getting field engineers to go out there only to go, hey, I didn't need to come out here. Actually, you needed this guy, not this guy. So they wasted their time. But B, it would have saved them money. What it meant was you needed to spend more time in the contact center, but the contact center was being managed on old metrics. So you have to look at it in the round and then say, well, hold on, if we can now make this saving by not sending out as many engineers, and therefore that means that we need to increase the cost here, you get the whole idea. It's looking outside the square. Yeah, I love that. I think that, you know, we can frame the costs in terms of number two. We can also frame it in terms of number one, right? Doing your homework. Sometimes those costs are very, very easy to compute. Usually, though, they're not. And so we focus on the easy stuff, just the the headline costs of implementation, and we don't do the homework to figure out what what are the saved costs by doing this? You know, what are the unseen costs that might make this a more expensive project than we thought it would be? What are the the cost that we'll be saving because we're also not looking into that. So yeah, I love that one. I'll give you a practical example of that again. Just think about recruitment costs. Yes, that's one that often gets under calculated. Yeah. How much did it cost us to recruit this person? How much was the advert? How much time did we waste in recruiting all these people? Then the what was the training costs that this person would have gone on? And I'll tell you what, mate, it adds up to a bloody big number, basically. It's really surprising. And I would even go further. Like, I would encourage firms to not restrict the cost calculation to just numerical costs. So, you know, there are things like esprit de corps or kind of employee happiness or employee motivation. In addition to saving the costs of sending out those utility workers, now the organization also doesn't have to deal with a bunch of surly plumbers. And how can you put a price tag on that? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So number four, uh, a fail fast mentality. Okay. I love this. Yeah. Yeah. So first thing, don't talk about it. Do it. Okay. <laughs> I believe that so much that we called our company Beyond Philosophy to try to to get that. So you have to do your homework. You have to think outside the square. You have to do all the calculations and everything else and to understand the costs, et cetera. But stop talking about doing it and get out there and do things, okay? But do it with a fail-fast mentality. And that means, for me, you've got to try something. If it doesn't work, move on to the next thing or next version. In these pandemic days, uh, maybe we should call it the next variant. Yeah. You know, because uh, you, <laughs> Too you, soon, you're looking Colin. Too soon. <laughs> Thank you very much. But you're looking at, well, how can we amend that? Okay. Yes. The key part for me here is, and why I, I hope this podcast is useful for people, is look at what customers are doing and apply some of the behavioral science principles underneath that because that i think is the key so when you're testing these things 
and you're looking for amendments, see what the customer's doing and go, well, hold on, if we tweaked it a little bit like this, then maybe that would that would work better and, and hit the mark a bit better. I love it. You know, when we talk about costs that are involved, one of these costs that can be difficult to enumerate is the cost associated with risk, right? So we're going to make these changes, we're going to implement this program, and there's some chance that it's just not going to work in the way that we expect it to. One of the ways of mitigating risk is by front-loading failure. If you're going to implement this program and make all these changes and then roll it out company-wide, and then you're only going to find out six months later whether it actually worked at all, you're now putting all your eggs in one basket. You're putting all the risk on, on this final version of the program, as opposed to if you can spot check it throughout and give yourself lots of opportunities for measuring things as they proceed and making adjustments, now you're spreading that risk out and you're, you're not having just one big shot and cross your fingers and hope that it works. Now you're giving yourself opportunities to make adjustments because honestly, everything is going to need adjustment and tweaking. And so, yeah, build that in. I, I love that. I think it's great advice. Yeah. And I think that tied in with all of that, I guess we've been talking about this, but let's make this explicit. Yeah, speed. Okay. Do things quickly. A phrase I like, which one of my old bosses used to talk about a lot, is ready, fire, aim. And he used to say that, this is when I was in corporate life, because he was trying to overcome the the complex nature of decision-making. So let's get out there and do things. Do it quickly, see if it works, and if it does work, then great. And you just mentioned, uh, Ryan, the fifth one, which is fundamentally important, and that is measure everything. So fifth rule, measure everything. Now, why is that important? It's really important because two or three things. A, you want to be able to measure it to see if it's working or not. And if it, you know, which parts of these things are working. So what changes do we need to make? You need to measure things because you need to communicate what's working well and what's not working so well. And you need to gain hearts and minds. So when you go back to your boss and you turn around and go, hey, we've we've done this test and, you know, this is what's happened and that's what's happened, you know, the first thing they're going to turn around and say is, well, what was it like before and where is it now? Right. And not unreasonably either, by the way. <laughs> totally right. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I, I run my own business now. If somebody came to me and said, I want $3 million to do this, the first thing I'd be saying is, well, tell me how much money I'm going to be getting back and where's the measurement that underlies all of that stuff. Yes, You've got to think about that, again, that mentality of measuring everything and then consolidating those measures down into something that the organization can understand and use that to drive hearts and minds and to gain further approval. And here's the rub. I guarantee if you do those types of things, A, you'll get the return you want, but B, and probably more importantly, you'll start to get the reputation of someone that knows what they're doing and can be trusted to make these types of decisions. 
because you've put all of that measurement in place and you can empirically prove it. It's not just a gut reaction. It's not just a, here, I've got, you know, this great idea. What, um, why don't we spend $3 million on this? You know, you've got all that evidence and, uh, and you've got all of that measurement that backs it all up. I love it. So let me go through those five rules again. Rule number one, do your homework, okay? Make sure you do the research. Make sure you're looking for those hidden causes of things. Don't just take what your customers tell you. You've got to do the research that gets under the skin of those things. And we'll put a link into the show notes, by the way, of this emotional signature stuff that you can have a look at because I think that's an important aspect of, of this. Number two, think outside the square, okay? Zig when other people are are zagging. Think of that whole area of diversity. Three, remember costs are part of the formula, okay? So don't just think of, I need $3 million. Well, how much is it going to cost the organization? How much are we going to get back? Where can we actually save money by implementing this idea? Four, a fail fast mentality. Move quickly, ready, fire, aim, okay? And five, measure everything and start to use that measurement to be able to start to create a further business case for further investment. And not just that, but that absolutely starts to increase your credibility as somebody that knows how to run these types of projects and can get some results. But I then go back to four, which is that fail fast mentality, which is if it doesn't work, don't try and force it down people's throats just turn around and go, it didn't work. And now let's move on to to the next thing. Learn from it. Absolutely. Okay. We hope that's been of of use to you today. Ryan, do you want to mention about the I'm in a pickle? Oh, yes, of course. Colin and I have been doing this podcast for several years now. We've covered a lot of big behavioral science ideas, but as, as we've talked about what we can do to be more useful other than just explaining the ideas, the really hard part after you understand this stuff is figuring out what to do with it and figuring out how to how to implement it in your business. So what we've done is we've, we've developed this I'm in a pickle series where we're going to strongly encourage you to email us or call us in and, and tell us about a problem you're having. What is a problem that you are having in your job that you think behavioral science might be able to address, but you're just not sure how to go about it or where to start? Colin and I will offer you our best advice based on the science. So please take advantage of that. Give us uh, an email. I believe the, the email address is contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And let us know. Just title it, I'm in a pickle, and tell us what your pickle is, metaphorically speaking. Absolutely. So that's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And we look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks very much. Cheers. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer. The Intuitive Customer.